Welcome to Pretty Good Vibrations, a show that both analyzes and celebrates pop and rock music and the crucial role that it plays throughout our lives. Today, we're talking about post-punk. Think early bands like Joy Division and New Order, Public Image Limited, Wire, 2000s bands like Interpol, LCD Sound System, Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and more current bands like Shame, Idols, and Fontaine's DC. Post-punk is danceable, hypnotic, and unendingly cool. And I'm excited to talk about it today with a good friend of mine. Let's get into it. David Stewart, thanks for being with me. Great to be here, Dan. David, you played drums in a band that I was in called Pacific Gold about a decade ago. You've also spent a good amount of time in the music industry since then. Just give us a little Cliff's Notes for you know, how you came to love music so widely. Picked up a guitar in middle school, was running from then, playing bass in a ska core band for about a year. Good. And then a very Mars Volta inspired band after that through the rest of high school. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, no. (laughs) Lots of people came to our shows. And then, uh, yeah, moved here for college. You and I met, I think, two years after I moved here. And yeah, started up things with Wayfair slash Pacific Gold. And... Yeah, so music playing music's kind of been there since I started listening to post-punk, honestly, Dan. We'll get to that in a second. But, oh, um, fun. In terms of working in the music industry, uh, yeah, I had a friend of mine who was actually at Amazon and ended up kind of trying to recruit me for a while. And I was like, yeah, I've lived in Seattle long enough to know about what I've heard of working at Amazon on the corporate side. Yeah. But eventually I ended up jumping into it in uh, 2016 in the summer and was there for five years. And I was the head of Indies basically on the streaming service that Amazon owns. Indie labels. And so it's called Amazon Music Competitors or Spotify and Apple. Those are kind of the big three. We'll try not to say Spotify or Apple Music, you know, well, you're not there anymore. So no, we don't I use have Apple to... now. Yeah. Cause <laughs> Amazon feels like work and Spotify pays not so well per stream. That's true. Yeah. I probably also have like, they were our, our rival, you know, it's like in my You're a man of principle is how I, am, I like to think yeah, I'm about a little, it. Yeah, man of principle, <laughs> maybe loyal to a fault. Um, but anyways, yeah, I was there for five years and it was like dream job, completely unsustainable is kind of how I summarize it. Yeah. I ended up getting to work with a ton of the labels we'll talk about today. Cool. Getting to work with some of the artists that we got that we'll talk about later today. So it yeah. was like the exposure thing was like unreal. And I was like, why am I here? Like, I, yeah. It was, yeah, really, really fulfilling kind of being able to be in such a huge machine and able to kind of do some advocacy work and literally just stress out about music as my day job. But it was also a night job and a weekend job yeah. and a travel third of the year thing. So it was. So the Amazon yeah. stories are true, more or less. There were 10 people at Spotify doing my job. Oh my gosh. Six at Apple. And I knew all of them. Like you're at all the yeah. same events. Yeah. Eventually there were two of us, but still two to 10. And it wasn't like oh my gosh. customer base was like. 10 times the size on Spotify. No, no. So yeah, exactly. You well, got the same amount of labels and releases to worry about. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the list, because your work is not based on listenership. It's like getting all the releases ready for the service. Yeah. Yeah. Because our team was, it was label relations. So okay, we were basically yeah. set yep. up. The same number of clients. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You're working with the same labels trying to, you know, the national puts an album out next week or, you know, usually you have a few months of head, heads up. You're then working on putting a marketing campaign together using right. like six teams internally. Right. And hoping you beat them to the chase on like, hey, we're interested in doing a a live thing with somebody. Wink, wink. Like, what do you got? Yeah. And then you end up just trying to, yeah, make it happen or you try to and it's not big enough or whatever. Or they had a conversation two days ago. So it's that's why it was tough to be one versus 10. I'm tempted to say. Jeff Bezos, if you're listening to this, but of course, <laughs> he's not fucking listening to this. Uh, I got to say, my anticipation for this episode, since we decided on it two or three weeks ago, has built slowly like the first 90 seconds of an LCD sound system track. Mm, mm. I've, yeah, I know that all too well at this point. Now. If you get that joke, you're probably going to like this episode. If you don't, you might still just hang around for a bit. When I was doing the research for the Power Pop episode, I came across mm. a quote which I delivered to a somewhat befuddled John Van Dusen that power pop was the Rodney Dangerfield of music. It gets no respect. Right. Uh And I think that much like Yacht Rock, much like Yacht Rock. (laughs) Well, Yacht Rock at least made a lot of money for people. True. Post-punk is the opposite. It is Mm. dripping 
with coolness and credibility. I would wager that plenty of post-punk acts have gotten more respect than they deserve. <laughs> so it's the yeah. flip side we'll get to that for of sure. Power yeah. Pop, right? Yeah. And it, it even feels weird to be recording this episode. Like, it's fun. I have you here in person, which normally we do stuff over Zoom. Yeah. And we're here in my suburban home studio. <laughs> and what we really should be doing is having this conversation, like yelling over a Lou Reed Deep Cuts Spotify playlist yep. at some, like, not yet gentrified part of the Bronx with like, mm. uh, you know, sweater vests falling <laughs> apart kind of, but like, yeah, yeah, like that vest, you can still barely wear it. Yep. Uh huh. Yep. And then it, it, the bar either has like $19 Mezcal cocktails <laughs> or alternately tall cans of hams for like four bucks. Yeah. You know, and it's I think depending on what bar you're at, you're going to say some of these bands are or are not post-punk. You know, based on going to be a wide yeah. net at one bar and a pretty niche narrow net at the right. other. Exactly. Yep. But but we're really not supposed to be doing this in the burbs. So yet here we are, Dan. We're such rebels at heart. Uh, it's kind I, of artsy if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> to get such a abstract perspective. I think know? that this is an act of resistance, frankly. Mm, uh, mm. No, but I uh, I do re I do refuse to pretend that I'm cooler than I am, and I will admit Same. that I love a lot of these bands, mostly the stuff that we'll get to that came out while I was like hearing it in more or less real time. Yep. I do think you're going to, you're going to come out cooler than me. You're going to like more of it and that's fine. I'm <laughs> I okay came out with the gate that. saying I worked at Amazon for five years. So <laughs> not sure, Dan. So why did you pick post-punk when I, I said, Hey, what do you want to do? You said, I want to do a post-punk episode. Why? Yeah. I think emotionally post-punk makes me feel things better than almost any genre does. Um, sometimes the emotion that post-punk pulls out is a happiness. Sometimes it's ambivalence of day-to-day -day life. Mm. Sometimes it's sadness. Sometimes it's anger. And I think, uh, oftentimes it's usually a blend of all of those things. So the genre for me does really well to hold that combo and conflict while also giving space to introspection and, uh, lots of dancing. And I yeah. think we both probably enjoy the dancey side to post-punk quite a bit, but definitely musically, yeah. I think post-punk feels like a big enough catch-all for a lot of stuff I'm into that it was going to be worthwhile to jump into it. I grew up kind of equal parts if we're thinking post-punk and some of the lead up and where it eventually goes Ramones, but also Interpol. Yeah. Around the same time in middle school for me. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. so that was really interesting to like kind of jump back into my, you know, 12 year old life and what I was listening to on my friend's cassette tape deck on the, on the bus, listening to Ramones and then finding Interpol. But, um, well, that's already that, interesting because we have a, like a seven or eight yeah. age gap, yeah. seven or eight years. And so I was thoroughly soaked in the Ramones and the early punk bands before I heard any post punk, whereas you experienced them simultaneously exactly and yep. what's interesting is as genres they were actually simultaneous yes but you heard 1976 ramones With 2004, and 2004 <laughs> interpol yeah. at the same time and that's really cool yeah and i think that ending there is kind of like the heart of it for me was i have grown up spending so much time listening to the 2000s revival stuff yeah and then particularly the last six or seven years especially in my job that i was doing getting really into like the uk latest wave and not really at any point going back to the roots of it and the first wave of everything and so this felt like a great excuse to nerd out with you hell yeah let me give let, let's let everybody else nerd out a little i like to read <laughs> off a list of artists that we're gonna discuss okay this is not a complete list because they're 40 plus artists that we're going to talk about but just going chronologically here also to give you a sense if you have no idea what post-punk is public image limited or is it ltd how do people say that i feel like any podcast i dug into limited is it whatever limited, but they yeah. often just skip it and call them public image public image yeah yeah it's like call yeah okay whatever fine uh <laughs> that's johnny rotten's band after sex pistols magazine joy division gang of four the slits talking heads the fall Bauhaus, U2, Mission of Burma, New Order, The Cure, ESG, Skipping Ahead, La Tigra, Interpol, The Rapture, Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, LCD Sound System, Shame, Idols, Omni, Fontaine's DC, Wet Leg, and a bunch of others. Yep. So that's, if you know any of those artists, you kind of know what we're talking about. We're going to define the thing soon here. But basically there are chronologically three eras that we're going to be talking about. 
there is the birth and initial explosion. Mm-hmm. This is roughly 77 to 1980, although we're going to kind of cheat into 83, 84. Yep. Um, but the, the big first explosion kind of ends by the late 70s. Then there's a big 2000s revival, mostly focused in the U.S. and New York especially, but some in the U.K., then there's another break, and really starting around 2014, 2016, there is now a third explosion, almost exclusively based in the UK. Those are the bands I imagine you got to work with some of them during your yep. stint at Amazon. Yep, 100%. Yeah. Cool. So that's kind of the real basic chronology uh, for the episode. Let's start at the beginning. Okay, let's do it. Post-punk begins essentially the same time that punk rock begins. Normally when we say punk, we all mean punk rock, but there's proto-punk and early punk, depending on who you're talking to. Uh, Punk rock begins essentially with the release of Ramones self-titled in 1976. Mm -hmm. As an aside, pop-punk also begins the same time as punk rock with the Ramones and Buzzcocks, Mm. arguably pop-punk bands. So I'm excited to later in another episode trace a different trajectory that starts at the exact same point yeah. that we're talking about today with almost no bands in common really at all. Uh, but it's just cool like yeah. to, to visualize that they, they really come out of that same soup and go these different directions. Yep. So I thought we might start by playing some quick clips of some of those early punk records to get some context. Cause what we're going to say about post punk is that it shares some stuff with punk rock but then it does these things different. Well, let's hear some punk rock. So very briefly, here is Blitzkrieg Bot by the Ramones, 1976. Hey, oh, let's go. Hey, oh, let's go. Hey, oh, let's go. Oh, let's go. Layering. Oh, let's go. <laughs> Hopping over to the UK, we've got The Damned with New Rose. And already just something to listen to. The guitar players are not picking. No. They're not playing individual strings. Yeah. These are chugs. These are big chords. That is ubiquitous across punk rock. Yeah, 100%. You should be able to pick a guitar, (laughs) practice for a few weeks, and be in a punk band. Yeah. That is ideally. Yeah. I will say the next two bands are an exception to that uh, because they feature exceptional guitar work. First, the Sex Pistols. Here's Anarchy in the UK. I am an anti-coast. I am an anarchist. Don't know what I want, but I know how to get it. I want to destroy possibly because I want to be I'm definitely ready to play Tony Hawk Pro Skater after playing after listening to that. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that was blaring out the speakers. Uh, also, already I'm feeling like the Damned feels like post punk. They're being a little artier. Yes, they're a little artier. Yeah, but in the same way, Blitzkrieg Pop, I'm feeling like I can see the through line for power pop or pop punk there pop punk, way yep. easier. Yep. Than I can with Damned. It feels like already I'm seeing a distinction. That sec that last one I feel like is a little bit more of a blend of the two. Yeah. Because there's a hook, but at the same time, vocal quality is a thing already. He's like distinct, like clearly distinct in that. And I think we'll yeah. get into that a lot with post punk where you're like, oh, half these guys and gals are not great singers. Right. And that's kind of like it they turn it into a feature, not a bug to exactly. the best of their yeah. ability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um last punk track, and I think that. This actually proves the point in an interesting way about guitar work. So Joe Strummer got his nickname because all he could do was strum strum the whole guitar. That's why in a lot of Clash songs, there's someone going, bam, 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 bam. That's the Joe Strummer part. And But Mick Jones, great guitarist, Mm. doing really interesting work. They do a lot of very cool uh, sort of counter rhythmic work together. But this is from their first record, 77. Here's Janie Jones. Love with rock and roll all 
Those drums sound terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so that's punk, yeah, right? Yeah, that's as they should. That's the punk that we are post in the stuff we're talking about today. So, yep. David, I'm going to kick it to you to get your definition of post-punk. I got a few ideas, yeah. mostly gleaned from Wikipedia and allmusic.com. Okay, the first two are from people, one of which is me and the other is from a friend of mine across the pond. And the second two I'll give you... You have four definitions of post-punk. Yeah, but they're not that long. Okay, let's hear We're them. moving. Okay, right, we're so moving. to me personally, post-punk is what happens when a bunch of punk rock kids spit into a blender full of books artwork, introspection, and ambition. <laughs> and they just let it spin around and around uh-huh. and around. To be clear, these kids love repetition. They, lo- they they let that blender keep spinning. It's just going. And that blender definitely has some shards of like self-reflective glass in there for uh-huh. angular guitar parts that we'll hear later, but as well, a bit of self-reflection in the lyrics. And occasionally a pair of shoelaces from someone leaving the dance hall find its way Are into the blender. the blender? Okay. Yeah. And the special post-punk smoothie okay. with the the dance shoelaces is my personal favorite. Not all post-punk is dancey, but the best post-punk is dancey. We will talk about sort of post-punk and dance punk. Yeah. And they're really, they're sort of incestuous cousins or whatever, yep. you yep. know, yep. they kind of flow in and out of each other. I It's hard for me. The blender analogy just makes me think of that great scene in Freaks and Geeks where they try and get Martin Starr's character to drink like a kitchen sink blender. And they pay him money to do it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Never seen that movie. We're already showing our our (laughs) age gap. Uh, Okay, so then I asked a former colleague of mine from London, Tom, to define post-punk as well. Because A, he's English, and B, he has an incredible taste in music. And his was way more succinct. Tom said, if punk gave two fingers to everything that came before it, maybe post-punk gave two fingers to punk. And again, for our American listeners, two fingers. That's like piss off. Middle finger equivalent. Yep, yep. So those are humans. Okay, those are good. Uh, a third in the most detailed definition is from Discogs. Yeah. So shout out Discogs. Uh, post-punk, originally called New Music, M-U-S-I-C-K in the UK, is a broad type of rock music that emerged from the punk movement of the 1970s, in which artists departed from the simplicity and traditionalism of punk rock to adopt a variety of avant-garde sensibilities, inspired by punk's energy and DIY ethic, but determined to break from rock cliches. Artists experimented diversely with sources including electronic music and black styles like funk, disco, dub, and free jazz. It goes on, but I love that's that. A, that's basically all the notes I had, so I have nothing to add to that. And then finally is a funny one, and this is actually perfect. You perfectly teed this up without me telling you this. Um, this is from the Known Pleasures podcast, which if you really enjoy what we're going to do today and want to deep dive on some of these bands, I think they have like 30 plus episodes. Okay. Each episode is a band. Wow. So if you, yeah, if you hear a, a track or two that you like, yep. go find the episode of the, by the way, a play on Unknown Pleasures, the Joy Division album. Very clever. Brilliant. And I the love podcast, a good podcast title pun. That's and the, the podcast best. like team name that you see on there is Gang of Three because there's three people. Incredible. I know. They're nailing it already. Um, they, they called out that post-punk is when guitarists stop focusing just on the lowest three strings of the guitar and finally recognize the existence of the top three. Well, that's funny, but I think that the that joke about power chords yep. applies more to later punk. Actually, the really early stuff, they are... Like, the Ramones are only playing the bottom three strings. That's true. They're doing power chords. But the Clash and the Damned and Sex Pistols, they're actually playing all, five, all six strings, four or five strings a lot. This is getting real nerdy for the guitarists, but they're that's a there. funny... I like that's a funny yeah. definition. Yeah. I really don't have anything to add, uh, especially to that third of yeah. four, although I will give you creativity points for the blender. Thank you. I was either going to go with that or build a bear where the only ingredients you had were like the bear was punk <laughs> and then you, you could choose you could choose from different things, but they all had to be punk bears. I think, wow. Yeah. Blender versus build a bear. Yeah. W- way in. Way, uh, on way in. Twitter. <laughs> okay. So one thing we got to talk about though is that a lot of the stuff that gets called post-punk is more accurately described like new wave or just mm. 80s rock, yeah. right? So we're what we're narrowing in on a little bit is like this is not primarily The Cure's discography or Talking Heads discography. We're not primarily talking about bands that have radio hits. Yeah. Like there is an angular art school. Yes. Avant-garde is the right term for yep. it, right? Yep. That is necessary 
to what's going on in post-punk. And as soon as it becomes too widely accessible, it sort of ceases to be post-punk. Totally. Right? Yep. Glad we agree. So we started with some punk. We're going to start into this chronology here. That was 76 and 77. Real quick, Dan, just because we're talking 77, 78, and 79 pretty explicitly, mm-hmm. I pulled up the best-selling albums in the U.S. and U.K. Nice. At those three years. So yeah. I'll give them as we get into each year. But in 77, the best-selling album in the U.S., Fleetwood Mac Rumors. I believe that. Yeah. Still to this day, probably. U.K.? Uh, and U.K. was ABBA's Arrival. <laughs> Well, ABBA sort of took over all of Europe for a few years there. So that makes sense. So this is counter is very much counter programming to whatever is on pop radio at that time. Yep. So of all the bands that I have basically discovered through prepping for this episode, Wire are maybe the top of the heap. I have already added like three of their records to my like (laughs) new records playlist to spend more time with. But here is one two XU from their nineteen seventy seven record pink flag. And what I want to focus on here is how this song really is a perfect intro to go from punk to post-punk because the song blends more straight ahead punk rock with this more repetitive rhythmic deconstructed post-punk. You're going to hear both of those in this clip. There's the punk. Oh, hello. Now we're in some sort of new post-punk landscape. What is this? (laughs) I feel way more comfortable here. I could just take my shoes off and put my slippers on now. Oh, kick back and relax. Yeah, Wire. So uh, this first album, Pink Flag, is kind of debated in terms of people trying to define it as post-punk or not. I feel pretty strongly it's not really a post-punk record but it's Wire's kind of necessary prelude to Mm -hmm. albums two and three, which are like, should be held up in just the lore of post-punk because they are incredible. But a lot of folks, I think, bring this one up nonetheless because it starts to do what you just called out. Yeah, it's doing both and and it's, it's gesturing, yeah. Yeah, so a little bit of background on Wire. They played 15 shows as a band before recording this album. Wow. And going into the studio. But to be fair... The UK, you can't play, you know, like if you tour the entire UK, sure. that's 15 shows. Fair enough. I mean, Sherwood did it three times. Yeah, at least they're not from very London, long. you know? Yeah. Yeah, they're not but like... not a ton of experience. It's the opposite of the Beatles who play like 500 concerts or whatever before their first record. Yeah, yeah. Brian Eno, I mean, you'll hear this a lot as we get into it. These kids went to art school. Yeah. And grew up on, you know, grew up on punk and like whatever. Yeah. Um, but Brian Eno gave one, I don't know which band member, gave one of them rides to art school back when they were getting started. Wow. Um, and yeah, I think Wire often gets grouped into the art punk corner. Okay. Um, quite a bit. I think it's post-punk smeared with what you'll hear later is a lot of like synth goodness, um, particularly as they evolve. And this album is actually produced by Mike Thorne, who later went on to produce Tainted Love. So talk Whoa. about a trajectory yeah. there. Uh, lots of other things, but I, they called that out on the Known Pleasures podcast. Yeah, and that's I was like, cool. That's, that's kind of cool. And f- he was fairly unknown at this point. Just from, he was a fairly unknown pleasure at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just from what I've seen, like Wire has continued to basically make records. They didn't, did they break up for a little while maybe? Or I believe so. They have a lot of albums up through the 2010s. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm excited to dive in there. Are we yeah. getting to the second album at all? Third. We're, okay. we're skipping second unless you- Can if, I give it? We yeah. don't even need to play it. Let's hear it. Um, what are we hearing? If you want to, are you going to pull something up? Yeah. I Am The Fly. Okay. So the second album, Chairs Missing, came out nine months after Pink Flag. <laughs> November November to August. That's some Beatles shit right there, man. Totally. That's some Beach Boys uh chronology. And uh I think second second album Chairs Missing is probably my favorite of Wire, but okay. um it's definitely a better example of the initial UK post-punk movement that we're going to really dig into and I think a huge influence if you listen to the guitars throughout this album on The Cure. Oh, cool. So there's okay. a ton of through lines there. Um and I Am The Fly is my personal favorite. I think the intro and then the lyrics in this are a great example of like guitar effects getting integrated 
synths mm-hmm. and stuff getting integrated in a new way. Apparently, Mike Thorne was like really ahead of you know, the curve and had a bunch of guitar effects and synths that he like tossed wire and was like, hey, go mess with these and come back and integrate them into your music. That is cool. And so he, I think, was pro- he did the second record. I'm pretty sure if that's the case. And then, uh, yeah, you can hear it. But I'm the Fly is just kind of fun. Uh, and I think that even just the first like 10 seconds, you're like, what noise is that? Whoa, it sounds like a fly. Totally. Okay, I don't like this. We'll get to the chorus, then you'll love it. (laughs) I got to keep the clips kind of shorter for legal reasons, so let's get to the chorus here. Okay. Let's hear that too. Yeah, just, I'm I'm the fly in the ointment. I figure that's probably what it is, yeah, here we go. I am the fly in the ointment. I can spend all these things and the fleas which nibble away at your window display. Yes, I am the fly in the ointment. I'll shake it down to say please as you accept the next dose of disease. I recognize why someone might like that. <laughs> Is this David? where we diverge already? We have already diverged. That I have no desire to listen to that song again. Okay. Well, you though, like that. I love that. The uh Tell me you why. can see it on the lyrics there. I'm the fly, I'm the fly just goes on and on yeah. and on. And I think the lyrical repetition is something that happens a ton in post punk. Yeah. But they're fairly early to do that with this album. Yeah, I mean that doesn't make it like enjoyable. <laughs> For some it does. Okay. Okay. Hey, yeah. Judge not lest I be judged. <laughs> well, so now we're into 78. So that second record comes out in 78. Best-selling album of 78. Yeah, let's hear it. Saturday Night Fever soundtrack in the US <laughs> and the UK. And the UK. Disco is all over, dude. Top John five Travolta singles, has BGs the are there twice. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's just, it's absolute disco mania on both sides of the Atlantic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and these art school kids are like, fuck that, <laughs> right? Some of them hear something and they're like, we still want to dance. Yeah, we, yes, exactly. So even in 78, well, we're going to, really by 79, we're starting to get the danceable stuff. In 78, yeah. they're still so pissed off about Saturday Night Fever <laughs> that they are refusing to tap their feet. And they are, they're just like, Arms crossed. we're going to be noisy. Some people say Susie and the Banshees <gasps> are the first po- post-punk band. Mm-hmm. Now, based on release schedule, you've got to claim that it's the live recordings or the live shows because their record doesn't come out till 78, their first record. But they do have a BBC Peel session okay. in 77. And the internet tells me... They were founded in 76. And they were founded in 76. A lot of these bands, though, they're founded a year or two before yeah. they release. It's kind of hard to, who do you, like, how many people saw them? You know, yeah. if there's no rec- if there's no record of yeah. what they did, literally a record of it, then it's kind of hard to say. Anybody but could say they're in a band. Let's, let's hear. This is Hong Kong Garden. I believe oh, some say this is the first post-punk song. Let's hear it first, and then we'll see what we think. Not that we're gonna. Not that by listening to it right now <laughs> in my suburban studio, we will have the requisite information to determine this. But we're gonna we're gonna give our take. All right, here's Hong Kong Garden by Susie and the Banshees. Why is that song so racist, David? Tell us. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Wrong podcast. I did feel slightly uncomfortable. That was honestly the reason I didn't include this initially because I was like, something feels off here, but uh, (laughs) it's historically important, Dan. So we're going to talk about it. Okay. Uh, Just contextually, Susie and the Banshees members at that time, big Sex Pistols fans. Well, this is what I was going to say. Like I I watched that FX uh, series Pistol, which is based on, what's his name? The guitarist's uh, memoir from the time, Steve Jones. And I've also seen a couple documentaries about them and know a good bit about sort of that milieu. And Susie, what what was her, is that her name? She's whatever her name is. She worked at Sex, the Malcolm McLaren shop where 
the Sex Pistols formed and hung out and stuff. So she's in that soup, which is kind of cool in terms of like if the first post-punk band comes out of the Pistols sort of social circle. Oh, totally. So that's cool. Totally. So she went by Susie Sue, not spelled the way Susie you might imagine. Yeah. Susan Janet Ballion was her uh, birth name. Oh, there so there you go. Not as uh, punk rock as she might want it to be. But uh, Hong Kong Garden, that single came out in August of 78, three months before the album The Scream. The song was actually a hit in England at the time. England, notoriously a racist country. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't, it's not racist to have Asian sounding music. I'm it's, really just it's doing the a bit. instrument. Yeah, it's a little I'm bit. Doing of, a bit. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. It's a bit. That's yeah. all right. Uh, so I will say, I heard this was kind of the first song I started with because I was not familiar with Susie and the Banshees' mm. music very well. And uh, I went into it and was like, okay, this is kind of hooky. And then I got into the album and I personally enjoyed it a bit less. Yeah, I, I tried and I they're don't pretty get it. different. Like this, yeah. the single feels like a different band in a lot of ways it to me sounds like jefferson airplane b-sides <laughs> like white rabbit songs that weren't good enough to make whatever record white rabbit was on yeah yeah but i will say um there's a through line there's a bunch of these in these bands but um we'll get to magazine in a little bit and uh their guitar player john mckee he actually joined he left magazine and joined Susie and the Banshees in 1980. He does a ton of flanger and phasing and a bunch of stuff effects wise on guitar. Yeah. You just didn't re really hear it much before he came into the, the Susie and the Banshees. So it's kind of fun to start hearing those lines. It's funny because in the Power Pop episode, John Van Dusen was like, you should do an episode on, I don't know if this was in the episode or if just in our conversation, but he's like, you should do a guitar pedals episode. Like, what we hear when yeah. new guitar pedals get invented yeah. and you're i'm already hearing like a couple producers in england were like hey try throwing this on your guitar totally and then now like entire genres of rock music <laughs> sort of come from that yeah it's an interesting sort of interplay between technology and artistry which yeah. i suppose is that's as old as artistry itself Yep. You're always using some sort of technology, if that's paint or cinema or totally. whatever, right? Yeah, and if you want to, I mean, if you want to get back to the why Hong Kong Garden maybe makes us uncomfortable, who had access to that technology, who had the means to record it and put it out on the radio, and like why we're listening to what we listen to today because of all the access points that were there along oh, the way. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, let's, okay, not to get that's too nerdy, podcast, but, but I did take a class on Mozart in college, okay. in my undergrad. Yeah. This is something that is like so lost to time to us now but there was like a whole genre of what we now call classical music which then was just called music and it was like orient like mm. it was these mysterious like they would use the sort of modal yeah, structure yeah, yeah. of middle eastern music and it was supposed to inspire like fear and mystery and people would go like to operas and stuff and win like the Arab characters would come on. It'd be like, you know, like, and it's like, dude, are we talking about Jack Ryan right now? <laughs> Very problematic. Like, oh, that okay. happens all the time in, in well, movies and shows. It's like, you, you get that weird, like heat, wit, haze. Yeah. Sand happens there. Yeah. And then that modal stuff comes on and you're like, oh, okay. We're in a foreign oh, land. Dan. I'm supposed to be afraid and intrigued right now. I guess, yeah, I guess it is same as it ever was. <laughs> Speaking of coming out of the Sex Pistols, yes, our next post-punk band is Public Image Limited. So this is Johnny Rotten, John Lydon, singer of Sex Pistols, who starts another band where he sings the exact same way as he did in the Sex Pistols. <laughs> uh, but musically, it's like way more... I, I, I'm sure he was a part of that too, like not just wanting to do the same thing. Musically, it's way more adventurous. And you can really hear it on this track, Annalisa. It's interesting as an example because he is singing effectively the exact, like he's such a unique vocalist. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You mentioned it out yeah, yeah, yeah. for that Sex Pistols yep. clip. And so it's like, well, what happens if you change the band mm. behind him but keep him almost exactly the same? You get 
a new genre. Totally. I, there's something very elemental and kind of fun about that to me. Getting a, a nod back to Saturday Night Fever, Dan, after the messy breakup of Sex Pistols in 78, uh, John Lydon strived to create an anti-rock band, apparently, quote, claimed that uh, the only music he cared for was disco. So he's, because that's the most punk thing he could say exactly. at the time. Have you seen like interviews with him? Yeah. He is in the running for most insufferable person it's like him, Chevy Chase. Uh, who, I don't know who else is on that list. He's like maybe Donald Trump. He's way on the list of insufferable people that I have a very hard time. Like there's a supposedly very well-made documentary called The Public Image is Whatever about him and that band. And I just, like, I can't bring myself to watch it because I can't do 90 minutes of yeah. John Lydon. Why would you? I will say this. Instrumentally, if, I, if you told me that this was the Talking Heads... Like an early oh, yeah. Talking Heads oh, yeah. demo? I totally believe you. Totally. So I think instrumentally, especially, there's something like he lends his name and his public image hey. <laughs> to it. And like it does have that kind of and same with Susie and the Banshees, right? Where it's like, uh, is it do people say Susie, not Susie, right? I've heard everything. You've you heard do what everything? you feel comfortable with. I feel like I've heard it. Susan. Her name's anyway. Susan, so I feel, and my mom's name's Susan, and if you're going to say, Susie feels right to me. Okay. Well, but. I feel like I've heard it both ways. Anyway, yeah. that band coming out of that same scene, it, it does sort of give it like some jet fuel yep. to be like, take this seriously. Yep. And then, you know, maybe David Burns paying attention. I, I guess the Talking Heads had already started a year prior. We're, we're going to get to them later. Yeah. Anyway, sticking in 78, this is a band uh, that comes up a lot of these lists. I think you pronounce it Per Ubu. Perry Ubu, I believe. Really? Yeah. Perry Ubu? I don't know. Anyway. You, you say Per, I'll say Perry. One of us is right. So we one of us get is it right, right half the time. This is also 78. This track's called Navy with two Vs. Mm. The band, the band always thanks, thanks you for all the, days. for the, all Vs. Thanks you for the idea. Dude, the vocals I freaking love. You like this? I love and hate, but... <laughs> I can't do it anymore. I, I only put this on because they're like influential and yeah, stuff. Yeah, Please don't ever make me listen to that again. Well, not that song. I might yeah. make you listen to something else later. But I'll have a hot okay. take involving this band coming up. I also want to just recognize first US band we're kind of walking through in this. Oh, okay. They can get a little credit for being the first Yanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, really had their time band. Self-described as Avant Garage. Love that. Great wordplay. Love Avant that. Avant Garage. Yes. <laughs> that almost makes me like the song, but not quite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are they going to Are they gonna come back later? They're definitely going to come back okay. later. Um, big variety of reoccurring long-term members. Just so you know, for the history of this band, they're still going. Singer David Thomas is the only one to have remained along from, sure. the, from the beginning. Shout out Cleveland, Ohio, where the band hails from, formed in 1975. Name is a reference to Ubu Roy. I'm going to totally butcher that. An avant-garde play by French writer Alfred Jarry. First single dropped in December 1975, which I'll mention a little bit more in detail later. I simultaneously am proud of them for playing music like this so early. Yeah. Out of Cleveland. Yeah. And naming after some French play, I am rolling my eyes as hard as I possibly can. So I, they're getting a little bit of each from I me. I mean, that's the thing. We In the beginning, I always am like, I don't know how to feel about this with post-punk. I feel like some of them legitimately cool and interesting. Yeah. Just without even trying. They're just like... Agreed. And others, it feels like, oh my gosh, you are forcing your hand here. It's a reach. Yeah. Yeah. And you know... It's impossible to know because we can't see inside people's minds and, and know their whatever. But like the fact that this came out of Cleveland in 1978. What the fuck? I already like it more. I like it more just for see, doing that. They, they, I'll be honest, out the gate, they were the one, one of the bands that I, I didn't know about as much and just off-putting immediately. But I've kind of warmed to them through getting to understand i think their their place in history here and the you know there's a quirky lovability to 
the way he sings or just you've talks. You gotta you gotta respect a solid yelp, a true yelp. <laughs> yeah. He's he's yelping. He yeah yes. <laughs> David Byrne just does Byrne, it better. He yelps he's better. He's just more mal- yeah. He's that's true. We're gonna get to David Byrne and the Talking Heads. Here is the first track chronologically that I fell in love with. Okay. This is Mekons. I didn't like this one. You didn't like nope. this one. I love this track. Okay. This is called Where Were You? We're still in 1978. Let's see if another listen does anything for you. When I watch you from a distance, do you see me? You were standing in a queue, do you see me? You had yellow hair, do you see me? Okay. What's up? You don't okay. like that? Okay. I think I'm dissecting this a little bit more. Okay. Admittedly, I think I gave it like a half spin, but okay. this is reminding me of one of my favorite current, what is categorized as a post-punk band, Idols. Yeah. Well, I there is to get to definitely idols, yeah. some Idols in this, but I think what irks me here is it feels a little sloppy. The recording quality is terrible in my eyes. Yeah, but see, I think that's the punk thing. Like, that's not a problem for me. I know, at all. but dude, there's something that guitar is just not doing it for me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I love that. I, I am brand new to this band as of the research for this episode. Yeah. Have also added a ton of their tracks to kind of my new albums. Um, All right. I'll this where I process new stuff. So real quick about the Mekons. One of the most long running of the first wave post-punk group. Yeah, still going still to this going. day. Yeah. And then this was really interesting in terms of talking about art schools and universities and all these kids that came out of that. The Mekons were formed by a bunch of University of Leeds art students. Surprise, surprise. Ticking some okay, boxes. Yeah, there we go. The same group of friends also produced Gang of Four and Delta Five. Oh, cool. We're going to hear from both of them today. Sweet. That's cool. I like that. So... They were uh, uni chums. Exactly. <laughs> uni mates. I don't know how to talk like a Brit. You sound like you're straight out of Leeds. Well done. <laughs> uh, okay, we have one more 1978 track. This is also in here because people say it's important, <laughs> and I do not like anything I've heard on this record. This is Magazine. Oh, come on. The not songs, even this song? I, I don't like it, but let's let's see. Maybe you can show me something. Okay. This is called Shot by Both Sides, 1978's album Real Life. This island that they must be the same One is legal, it's just what's real Why not give her to understand It's exactly what I steal I went my way to the heart of the crowd Went my way to the heart of the crowd I was shocked to find what was allowed I didn't lose my The instrumental stuff is kind of cool. It sounds like a Western or something. Yeah. But then once he starts singing, it's just like bad clash in my mind. Wow. All right. Let's hear what you think, though. Okay. So I'm going to take a moment on magazine here. Let's hear it. And involved in this is my hot take of the podcast. So this is this is the take of the podcast right here. This is it. Great. Okay. So the reason uh, we had actually debated including magazine and you were like, dude, I just can't get into it. Yeah. And I was like, we must. Because a few a few reasons. There's a big punk rock through line and a post-punk through line. Members of magazine went on to become post-punk legends on their instruments. And there's a huge influence on today's bands, I think, from magazine. Uh, and in there, I'll get to my hot take about their first single. So, uh, quick rundown on magazine. Manchester Band, formed in 1977. This quote is from the Known Pleasures podcast episode on magazine. Highly recommend it. If 1978 can be regarded as year zero for post-punk, I'm not sure who's saying that, but then magazine were already wide awake when day one dawned. What a great line. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> from 1978 to 1981, they produced four challenging albums and set the tone for the next 30 years. Okay, but this is where, just briefly, yeah. challenging is not itself... A good thing. Dude, you're going to love my hot take then. You don't get points just by being obscure. No. So that's, but I'm a pop kid. So that's maybe, mm. you know, yep. other people, revolutionaries, people wearing Che Guevara t-shirts might be like, challenging is a virtue. Sure. In and of itself. Sure. 
to which I sip my frappuccino and say, no, it's not. <laughs> Hop in your, your Honda Accord and Hop head in home. my Honda Accord with my frappuccino and say, no, thank you. Jimmy John's, I'd like a Jimmy Club. Okay. Off to the laundry to get my khakis. Uh, okay, so yeah, in my view, Magazine is a great example of one of the punk to post-punk through lines happening across a lot of these bands at the time. John McGeoch, a young Scottish guitarist, he was in his early 20s when he started in the band. I think that's another thing. A lot of post-punk guys... And gals, they started in their early 20s, whereas yes. a lot of punk kids started in their teens. Well, art school is... Exactly. You went to college. Yep. And punk rock is can be definitely blue collar. You yep. do not go to college. Yep. That's... that's Wow, that makes me sort of hate myself a little bit. Because <laughs> I'm very thoroughly on one side of that debate, and I wish it was the other side. Sure. But yeah, there yep. you go. Yep. And divide, John, I mean. The yeah, divide. Totally. John was talking guitar actually growing up he took lessons okay. um so i think you can hear that a little bit like he knew his instrument a lot more than a lot of the punk rock kids did um and in april 1977 his flatmate introduced him to howard who had just left buzzcocks and was looking for a guitarist to form a band with here is the hot take dan let's hear it okay so magazine's debut the single we just heard shot by both sides is often raised in a lot of places that I was digging around as one of the first ever post-punk songs released in January 1978. Where's the respect for Wire's Pink Flag in 1977? Am I right? Anyways, others often brought up in that argument include Susie and the Banshees, Hong Kong Garden, which was in August of 1978 after shot by both sides. And then later on that year, Public Image's self-titled single in October. But... Here's where the hot take comes in. Every single one of those songs falls short of the title of the first post-punk song ever released, in my opinion, not only by two years, Dan, but the crown goes to an American band for both gold and silver place. Okay? Follow me. In October of 1975, Whoa. New York City's own television released their debut in the form of a 7-inch Little Johnny Jewels, parts one and two, which is hard not to say without smiling. <laughs> Little Johnny uh, Jewels. You know what it reminds me of is, yeah. I think you should leave on Netflix. Little Tiny Dinky Daffy. <laughs> Dude, totally. <laughs> by the way, by the way, I think it's not punk enough to be post-punk. My hot take's not over, Dan. Okay, let's hear it. So I do think, maybe there's a warm take here, it has the hallmarks of post-punk throughout it, repetitive angular guitar parts, uh -huh. some observational reflective lyrics, and some dance sensibilities that I think we find later on. Parquet Courts, I think, is right here, to be honest. Okay. Um, that bass line subtly doing some heavy lifting, so it's hard not to hear Parquet Courts, even Talking Heads I hear a little bit in that mm -hmm. song. But, yeah. but I also think not only do... The U.S. get gold in this. U.S. get silver. They get silver, Dan. With your favorite band, Perry Ubu. The Beach Boys? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, who right, released let's hear it. 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, backed with Heart of Darkness, I'm assuming on a 7-inch, uh, two months later in December of 1975. I prefer Heart of Darkness, which has really got the post-punk repetition instrumentally, but also lyrically, he literally, we're not going to do this, but he literally sings the phrase or words from the phrase, I'm looking into the heart of darkness 22 times by the end of the song. Oh my gosh, so much repetition. Here's Heart of Darkness. This is 1975. So that's the thing. If okay. you're not okay with the first the, one, I'm give, it give it to this one. Okay, I'm I'm more here. Either way, US takes gold, baby. Wow. Like years before. Let's go Yanks. Let's go Yanks. <laughs> yeah, one of those few times <laughs> no you can maybe feel without okay. representation. UK. Thanks Cleveland. Uh Way to yeah, go. I mean it does feel a little ironic calling these both post-punk, <laughs> but uh but, well, yeah. but sonically and I that's think lyrically sonically. they've got all the marks. Yeah. Yep. Wow. David. There's more in magazine, but I've already gone on too long. I don't care about them, so okay. let's stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's leave 1978 and the taste of magazine and Pear Ubu behind us. Mm. 
Tell us about 1979, David. What was going on in the, in the world of music? Let's do it. Uh, Billy Joel's 52nd Street, best-selling album in the U.S. Okay. That's not that's not quite as uh, frustrating. Jarring. Yeah. Blondie's Parallel Lines in the U.K. That's a great record. But listen to the top five singles. Okay. My Sharona mm-hmm. in number one. Yeah. Bad Girls by Donna Summer. La Freak. Yep. Do You Think I'm Sexy by Rod Stewart and Reunited by Peaches and Herb. I don't know that fifth song, but three of the other four are disco. Reunited and it feels so good. I'm pretty sure it's that song. Okay, yeah. Well, we got a lot of disco in there, and then that's the height of power pop is My Sharona and the Knack. They have funk coming in with the freak. Yeah, yeah. Mm -mm. I guess that's yeah. It's funk. That's right. You know what's not? You know what's not happening in the public consciousness (laughs) post punk, but it's happening underground. Let's talk about Joy Division. Here we are. Ian Curtis and then the people who would eventually become New Order. Their big record, Unknown Pleasures, you've seen. It's the album that has spawned (laughs) 1,000 T-shirts. It's a cool record. And this song, Disorder, is rad. Getting faster, moving faster, now it's getting out of hand On the tenth floor, down the back stairs, into no man's land Lights are flashing, cars are crashing, getting frequent now I've got the spirit, lose the feeling I wish they would have tuned the guitar a little better, but I like that song I've, I mean, I've had a hard time with Joy Division Really? Yeah I don't know what it is. It, you know what? Maybe we're finding a theme that if it sounds like very lo-fi and inexpensive and punk, that is like not a problem at all to me, but it does kind of I mean, grate my, on you. Yeah. My favorite Against Me albums, actually, we both agree, I think, are the Butch Big ones. Well, but everybody should agree on that. Everybody should. Yeah. Other than I, the guitar being out of tune, like, I mean, I don't really mind. I don't know. It sounds like it was done in a garage on a four track or maybe in a cave on a four track with that huge reverb yep. on the snare yep. and vocals. But I, I like it. I don't know. I, I like Joy Division. I, I think Joy Division, I'm like, I get it. But it's just not probably yeah. something I'm going to pull up much. Yeah. Um, I do think like Joy Division is a great example of kind of one side of post-punk where they're more like mood, expression, melodramatic versus the aggressive side. Yes. And we'll talk about it later, but some of these bands essentially style... Uh, fork off and you end up with goth like the goth totally, scene. dude big spin off right and yep. so and they're one of those groups that sort of kick that thing off uh, again pretty early forking off of punk and post-punk but yeah but they're definitely a post-punk band yeah for sure in their short career obviously Ian Curtis passed away quite young yeah two um, albums with this band yeah. I mean they're often held up in like the highest regard Talking Heads and Joy Division I feel like are kind of the, the two I feel like that come up a lot when post-punk gets brought up do you think David There's... Byrne resents that because he's like dude puts out two like pretty good records they get more important because he died meanwhile i'm over here cranking out moving my arms for 40 years uh i don't know i will say um this band started after they attended a sex pistol show in manchester in 1976 Mm -hmm. and put out an ad for a vocalist kids loved ads back then but um (laughs) also at that show this is pretty legendary it comes up on a lot of the things i was digging into yeah attendance of that show included the late great ian curtis yeah from Joy Division. Joy Division. Mark E. Smith, lead singer of The Fall. Yeah. And Morrissey of The Smiths. Wow. All at the same show. What a show. Yeah. Nate from Sherwood and I were- Was also at the show. We're at the same- No, no Nate from Sherwood and I went to the same Five Iron Frenzy concert. <laughs> and Nate and Joe were at the same DC talk show at Arco Arena in Sacramento before when they were kids. Basically the same thing. Basically the same thing. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Um, Joy Division's rad. We're going to talk about New Order a little bit later. Uh, next up in 1979, Gang of Four. Let's go. This is a song called Damaged Goods from the album Entertainment! Exclamation Point. Oh, that guitar, dude. Come on. So 
That's the first of something we've yes. heard here yes. in almost an hour. That's like <laughs> sorry, guys. No, no, that's fine. That's like getting to the stuff that where I start to really Same. feel it personally. Okay, you're this feeling is, that too. This is without a doubt of. Wait, of do you the, feel what I'm feeling right now, Dana? Why are we holding hands right now? Uh, why am I blushing? That why are your no, socks we're, we're starting. <laughs> this is the first song. Yeah. That I heard going through things that I was like, add immediately. And yes. I didn't actually, I, we'll get to this in a second. I was at Easy Street last night, just getting a couple local classics yeah. that I was like, I need these. They didn't have that album, but Entertainment was, uh, sorry, Entertainment, exclamation point, was, mm -hmm. is a top three for me walking out of this. Yeah. The energy, the drumming, the bass line, most of the guitar work of this song, it stays almost entirely the same. Yeah. Uh, the song's three and a half minutes. We can't play the whole song. So just believe me when I say. And by the way, this is a problem with picking clips for a post-punk post -punk? episode. Yeah. These songs are, generally speaking, so repetitive. <laughs> yeah, we promise. They They're are, saying the same thing a lot. Like, they are meant to be listened to on drugs where you do not mind repetition and you are like, you're on something and you're dancing in some gritty club. Yep. With other people who you esteem to be as cool as they esteem you to be. I've never done that, Dan, but I think most did. I've never been to a rave or, or been clubbing on drugs either. I was at third day in sixth grade is where I was. Okay. <laughs> hey, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not yet 40. There's a lot of time left, but <laughs> I haven't. So that, that repetition is super emblematic. You can't really hear it, though, in the episode because I keep things... You know, I try to keep them well under 30 seconds. So yep. you're just not going to get that. But man, trust us. When oh, we say, we say <laughs> that guitar goes on for days. It goes on we for mean days. It. Another Leeds band, by the way. Surprisingly, this single was a number one indie chart hit at the time. I mean, wow. maybe not so surprisingly, actually. Yeah. But John Peel, um, longest serving radio host on BBC Radio 1 big fan yeah and uh yeah voted one of the 100 greatest debut singles of all time in 2020's rolling stone poll wow it's a really cool track that's it's a band that i um i'm gonna spend more time with yeah and here's another one of those bands that kind of snuck up on me the slits Ooh. yeah so they are you know if you spend enough time as a punk rock kid you see a lot of people wearing shirts or you hear bands name drop records that you understand to be cool and important yeah but if you're the kid not the guy in the band before your time and the slits yep. are one of those where it's like i've known that i should like the slits probably for 25 years since i was 13 oh yeah 15 years old whatever yep, yep. but i've never really listened to them and this song instant hit i can neither explain what's happening in it nor can I explain why I like it, dude. but I really yeah. like it. Yeah, me too. There's a lot going on in the it's, best way. Okay, let's play the album version first. Okay. This is actually, there's a deluxe version, and this is the rough mix. Okay. And I, I prefer it to the Of course you prefer the rough mix, mix Dan. It's just got, it's more dub, which is, yeah. it, the bass is a lot louder, and it's warmer and stuff. I don't know. Anyway, here's Instant Hit by The Slits, a song that I defy you to explain to me, listener, what is happening. Is that a pan flute? It sounds oh, like... Oh, hey, there's the drummer. Did you hear that? Oh, he finally came in. <laughs> That song sounds to me like drunk children. <laughs> who somehow, there's like six toddlers who all of a sudden were just like grabbing stuff. And you're like, what are you doing? And it sounded terrible until like 10 seconds in where they lined up for like three seconds. And you're Also, like, a couple of the dads are playing drums and bass. You have to have like an established rhythm section, <laughs> keeping time. Dad walks but in then like, like some go. kid picks up a flute. Someone's like a guitar. They're like, meh, meh, meh. And then like they start doing some bizarre you know, row, row, row your boat round. Yeah. But it works. It works so well. And I just really like that song. So it's cool. And they're singing what? Destroy it? Yeah. Self-destruct. Very, I mean, that's toddler as well. Destroy it. Enjoy it. Destroy it. He's too good to be true. 
he is set to self-destruct. Dude. Mm -hmm. But here is something cool. Okay. They're on this deluxe version from two years prior, 1977. There's a Peel Sessions, a John Peel Sessions live recording of this song. And it's way more punk rock. Oh, so you can actually hear, hear now backwards. Mm. They're kind of going from punk to post-punk. So here's the Peel Sessions version. That one sounds Dude. like junior hires, Dude. not children anymore. Hey, here's a boss distortion pedal. <laughs> Have fun, kids. But it's but you it's really different. Oh yeah, it's, it's the sound, same song. You can, but I mean, way worse. <laughs> and and they but like what they did was they really deconstructed it. Yeah. And they were like, whoa, what could could we actually instead of like a punk clash kind of a thing? It sounds very first oh, yeah. clash record. Let's like what about like a dub bass line boom, and a, boom. yeah boom, 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 like a repetitive dub bass line and then simple drums almost reggae type drums and <laughs> hell let's get a pan flute in there <laughs> <laughs> throw a couple <laughs> toy blocks in for a bit yeah yeah and only whatever play the snare like in between when they're singing yeah like yeah the whole song is wild to listen to on drums I was just thinking I was sitting listening to this thinking like as a drummer. He's playing everything completely opposite of what I would have. And I'm so glad he did that because yeah. it makes that, it opens space up for everything else when the lyrics are happening, at least in that first version. I haven't listened to the second one. Yeah. He's just basically like clacking around on the rim of the snare and that's it. My guess is it's probably not even the same drummer, but who knows? Well, fun fact about the slits formed in London in 1976 after a Patti Smith show. Okay. One of the first female punk bands. They inspired a ton of yeah. other female bands spawning out of this time. The Raincoats, after they saw a Slits performance, quote, it was as suddenly as if I was given permission. It never occurred to me that I could be in a band. Girls didn't do that. Yeah. But when I saw the Slits doing it, I thought, this is me. This is mine. That was Gina Birch. And that, that's got to surely be part of sort of their legend is yeah. that they were so early um, in sort of female empowerment in this genre. It does make me think of Bikini Kill. Yeah, totally. As well in the sort of the Riot Girl movement uh, of the 90s. And you, I watched that quite good documentary, The Punk Singer, about Kathleen Hanna and all her bands. We're going to hear from La Tigra later, her second band. But yeah, that, that idea of these bands breaking a certain... Now, technically, the Slits had done it. <laughs> so, But, you know, totally. each generation needs their own, yeah. the Slits. Like, yep. you yep. need to see it for yourself. It can't just be a band your aunt told you about yep. from 15 years prior or something. Yep. But now we get to Wire, their third record. Again, here we are again. Uh, this was the track early on in all the research that hit me hardest first. Mm. This is called the 15th from their third record, 154. Did I call them The Wire? It's Wire. I don't know. If I said The Wire, it's not. That's just my HBO brain. Dude, same thing with Sex Pistols. The Sex Pistols? Yeah it's, yeah, it's just Sex Pistols, but everybody oh. says the Sex Pistols. I'm sure I'm guilty of that. All right, here's the 15th I mean, dude, very post-punk bust to even care about this, but anyways. Is this Interpol? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, dude. Wire is amazing. Like, they're like a fine wine as the albums go on, those first three. That track is kind of like, I shouldn't like it based on the character I've been playing in the episode who's like... Yeah, this one's mine, dude. ...against the art kids, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I just, that song just touches me, just reaches me. I don't know. I yep. love it. I also just love the space he gives the lyrics there and just like, yeah, I'm just going to sit and give you one word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is, I mean, dude, this is like, my dad is a numbers geek, as you well know. And uh, he'll appreciate this one if he tunes in. But that song was released along, you know, in the third album, 154, in September of 79. 
written by the vocalist Colin Newman. Interpol's Not Even Jail also released in September, a brief quarter century later. Okay, you're scooping me because this was in my notes. <laughs> I know, I know. Okay, I had to scoop listen, you once. This fine. is the only scoop. That's fine. That's fair. You can scoop me. Here was what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> is that this bridge section so that intro did sound like yeah but it then it goes out like the window Interpol, and then they do their a different thing but the, they come back to that sound from the very intro in the bridge and it's this repetition of the bass line it's layered repetitive guitars slightly building listen to this this is from the bridge of the 15th <laughs> Such a cool use of keys there. Dude, thanks, Mike Thorne. And then, but then listen to this. This is Interpol, not even jail. Seriously, you're going to play that song right now? Yeah. From Dude, 2000. I did not see that coming. <laughs> From 2004. What? You've pulled out your Interpol antics <laughs> vinyl LP. That's right. That's right. Proud owner. Proud owner. This is, yeah, this was my, my, uh, my gateway. We'll get to that later. Yeah. I think really mine too. And we will get to it. I, it's hard to not talk about Interpol right now, but you can hear a straight line between oh, those songs. They're both, I mean, September, September, dude, come on. Of course. Right you know, it's, they, it's and fall. I'm sure they did it on purpose, yep. you know? Yep. One more band from 1979. You mentioned Delta five. Yeah. And this is a track called Mind Your Own Business. And I would say this is the first time chronologically that we're hearing, ooh, someone's starting to split off from post-punk and create dance punk. Mm -hmm. Can I have a taste of your ice cream? Can I lick the crumbs from your table? Can I interfere in your crisis? No. Roll your boat <laughs> gently down, down the stream. stream. Merrily, merrily, mind you. No, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's very arty. Can I have your ice cream, Dan? But I like the, I do like the beat and I like that bass line. I love it. Dude, they were only around for like three years. Yeah, they just, it's like a bunch of singles and stuff, right? They didn't even do <sighs> a full so length. Good. Yep. So that's wrap, we're wrapping up the 1970s. <sighs> Here we are. Do we need a sort of a collective exhale? Like, is it going to be morning in the UK or morning in America here with... Morning in Leeds. Ronald, Ronald Reagan. I think it's a good place probably to just break and, and come back for part two. We'll get into the 80s. See you on the other side. I'll be back with David and more post-punk next week. If you enjoyed this episode, please send it to a few friends who you know love Joy Division or The Fall or Interpol or what have you. Appreciate it so much. All right. See you guys next week. <laughs>